There we go. Mute button is powerful. Even though he knows our skeletons, even though he knows our areas of weakness, his grace and his mercy so overshadows us that he draws us into his presence anyway because of his kindness and his love for us. And that's awesome. So as Dave said, no matter how long it's been since you've been in his presence, no matter how long it's been since you spend time in his word, there's no better day to start to renew than today. So let's make that a habit and a pattern of our lives to get into his word. Today we're going back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 this morning. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to there or open up your whatever Bible you may have, whether it be a physical Bible, e-Bible, maybe you've got it all fully memorized. And if we do bl- blessings upon you, we'll ask you to come up here and quote it for us later. I had a professor in college who had the whole Bible memorized. And I have no idea how he did that. That was not me. I had a hard enough time when I was on Awanas memorizing one or two verses at a time. And I just tried to get it so I'd get that badge that week, and then I forgot it the week after that. But this professor, he had it memorized and memorized, and he would quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it all the time. And I was like, God, that's not me. I got to have it right in front of my eyes. So I understand the struggles with memorizing stuff, but it should not stop us from reading. We all learned in school how to read, right? Read and write, and that shouldn't stop us. Israel, choosing their king. Israel desiring a new king. We talked in the past couple of weeks about this process that they're getting to, to choosing a king and why he chose a king for them. Why God was allowing them. It was because of their selfishness that they were, were rejecting the king of the universe. They weren't rejecting Samuel as their judge more than, as much as they were rejecting God to be their king. So as we're going to look in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 today at the reason and what God is going to give them as a result of their desire. See, God is the great king. He is the one who goes out and fights for the people. They were so afraid of the Philistines. They were so afraid of what was going on. They wanted to be just like everyone else. So they said, Samuel, give us a king. And Samuel got kind of upset, as he would have. But God, these people, they're rejecting me. And God says, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. God had been the one who had fought for them up to now. He, he was the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. He's the one who took them and opened up the Red Sea for them. He's the one who provided water in the desert for them. He's the one who provided manna in the desert for them. (coughs) He's the one who got them into the promised land and defeated all their enemies, right? He fought for them. And now here they were, rejecting him. You know what? God fights for us as well. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that God is the one who fights on our behalf. He is the one who goes before us in the battle. We don't see him physically, and so we forget that he's there. 
but he is all around us in this room. He's all around us in our homes. He's around you in your car, sometimes on the way to work. I wonder often sometimes how many times I would have gotten a wreck if he hadn't been there five miles down the road, clearing the way for me, especially as a teenager. I remember we had this two-lane road behind my house in South Carolina, and I get off work at 11 o'clock at night, and I thought it was so cool to drive down this two-lane road at 60 or 70 miles an hour. I was an, I needed a big name tag. It says ID10T. It was an idiot tag. I needed one of those when I was little. Because I did some stupid things. Anybody else attest to that? Hands ought to be up all over the room. All your teenagers look around. We're all idiots. You are surrounded by us. And they will be them themselves. That's right. When they remember, when they recognize what they did. God is the one who fights on our behalf. He goes before us. He gives us knowledge. He gives us, he knows the battles that we're going to face even before we get there. God knew 10 years ago that I was going to stand before you this morning. God knew 20 years ago that I was going to stand here before you this morning. God knew 25, 30 years ago that you were going to be here this morning. Think about that for a minute. God knew, and he knows, and he brought you to be in this midst, in this body of Christ, so that we could fellowship together and learn together how he desires to be our king. He desires. He's, he's one who wants to be our king. He's a great king. Psalm 95. I love the Psalms. If you ever get a chance, just spend some time in the Psalms. If you want to know, God, I don't know how to worship you. Go spend some time in the Psalms. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is what? He is a great God, a great king above all. The Israelites had forgotten how great he was, that he wanted to be the one that led them, that he wanted to be the one that they worshipped. And they said, Samuel, give us a king. He was the one who fought on their behalf. In Exodus chapter 15, he says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He fights on our behalf. He fought for his children. He fights for us, his children still. Sharon shared something with me this morning. I'm going to fit right here. This morning as she came in to church, she said, Pastor, come over here. I'm like, that doesn't always mean a good thing. When somebody says, Pastor, come here, I want to talk to you. It's kind of like my wife when we were dating. Honey, we need to talk. Guys, you ever have one of those talks with your girlfriend or your wife? It's kind of like that sometimes. Pastor, come here, I want to talk to you. What's she going to say? What's she going to say? Pastor, I got a note from my doctor this week. I'm cancer-free. Praise God. Cancer-free. The God who fights on our behalf. God is not surprised when we struggle. God is not surprised when diseases and cancers enter into our lives. And God is likewise not surprised when he removes it from us, is he? 
And we are so excited for you, Sharon. Cancer-free. No more trips to the doctor. No more scopes down the throat for six months. We're so excited that God fights on our behalf. When Jody was in the hospital, Dave and Drew and Kevin and all a bunch of us going in there and praying over her as she was out of it, in and out, in and out, mostly out. We didn't know what God was going to do. But God did already. He fought on our behalf. I'm not saying that God is always going to heal us, that God is always going to act in the way that we expect Him to or that we even desire Him to. In fact, the, the king that God gives to the Israelites turns out to not really be the king that they needed or the, the king that they wanted. But God was letting them know, I'm the king you need. I'm going to give you what you want. You've asked for a king, and so I'm going to give this to you. And in, your, in my grace and mercy, I'm going to give you what is going to actually draw you back to me. Think about that for a minute. God gives us and leads us in a way that's going to ultimately draw us back into him, into a stronger relationship with him. He gives us and leads us and guides us not because we think it's going to be comfortable or not because it's, we, can, we, we can rejoice because you're cancer-free and, 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 and Jody's sitting here this morning rejoicing, worshiping. That's not why he does that. He does that so that we can come together and worship him and lift him up and rejoice because he is a great, mighty God. He is the God. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Adonai. Yahweh, he is our Lord. He is our king. And he desires to be king in our lives. Every decision before him. Now this man that he's rising up in Israel. I know I don't normally drink water, but I taught Sunday school this morning, and so my, voice, my throat is very dry. So bear with me if you would. The king he gave them started off kind of a, with a rocky start. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to read through, look at a few verses here this morning. Let's look at Samuel's start. Saul's start, rather, I'm sorry, not Samuel. In verse 2, it says, There was a man among the people, more handsome than he, there was not a man among the people more handsome than he. kind of reminds me of myself. I'm just kidding. From the shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That's definitely not me in this church. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men, arise, and go look for donkeys. This young man, the most beautiful in his father's tribe, says, Saul, your task is to go find the donkeys. Just what I want to do. My father-in-law has a mule or a donkey. I'm not sure which, which it is. His name is Elvis. <laughs> Elvis is a good donkey. He stays close to home. My father-in-law also has a bunch of cows that don't like to stay close to home. And I always know when I go to Mississippi to go visit my in-laws. We're going to get that call. 
That call, sometimes it's at 2 in the afternoon, sometimes it's 7 in the morning, sometimes it's 2 in the morning. Mike, your cows have gotten out again. And sure enough, he's going to come in. David, wake up. Here's a flashlight. Go out here. We've got to go get the cows. And the first time I went, he gave me a sack and a flashlight. He said, now here's what you do. You go, come here, cow, 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 cow. Come here, cow, cow, cow. I didn't believe him. I was not as thick as he stupid I was. Going out there to get the cows back who decided they did not want to stay in their pen. They wanted the grass that was on the other side of the fence. They wanted the water that was on the other side of the fence. And that's where Saul finds himself. He's going to get those donkeys back when he should have been sitting home enjoying a meal. He should have been sitting home enjoying playing hopscotch. He should have been sitting home enjoying playing whatever. Doing anything as the son of the Kish than going out to get back these stupid, stinking donkeys. His dad says, take man with you. So he goes, okay, let's go. Verse 5. They looked hither and yon, and in verse 5 it says, they came to the land of Zuf. And Saul said to a servant who was with him, come on, let's go back. <laughs> Wouldn't that, didn't that sound like you and I? I'm tired of looking for these stupid donkeys. Let's go back home. I don't want to, we can't find them. We, we've looked here, we've looked there. I can't find them. Let's go on back. It says, unless my father ceased to care about the donkeys, he becomes anxious about us. But the servant said, behold, there's a man of God in this city. He's a man who's held in high honor. So let us go there and look and ask him. The servant's got a great idea. Let's go ask the man of God. Maybe he can conjure up the location and the whereabouts of these donkeys. Saul has another excuse. Verse 7. Then Saul to the servant, But if we go, what can we bring to the man? Kind of reminds me of God telling Moses, Moses, you are going to be the one who leads my people out of Egypt. But God, I, I stutter. I be stubber. I became a topic well about. I, I became a dubit. So God says, okay, we'll, we'll send Aaron. He'll, he'll be your mouthpiece. But God, I still can't do it. So God says, throw down your staff. Turns into snake, pick it up. Turns back to a staff. Put your hand inside your coat. Pull it out, it's leprous. Put it back in, now it's clean. Okay, God. I kind of picture Saul in that way. But I can't go. But we, we, if, if, we, if we keep looking... My dad's going to think we died. God's going to think something happened. But if we go to the man of God, what are we going to bring him? I didn't bring any money with me. I'm all out. In verse 9, the servant said, he answers Saul again. Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel. We can give it to the man of God on our way. Every excuse in the books, it's too hot, it's too cold, there's too many fleas, there's not enough fleas, I don't have any money, there's not enough water. Oh, excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Saul brings up. Sounds like he doesn't really want to complete the task. One, he's got a passivity problem. I've done what I was asked to do. I've gone to look for the donkeys. Now it's time to go home. But not only that, he's also got a prophet problem. He doesn't really want to go and talk to the prophet. He doesn't really want to go and seek God's face. He's okay doing just the bare minimum. I'm going to do as my, God, my dad asked me. I'm going to go and look for the donkeys. 
but I'm not going to complete the task to the best of my ability. And I really don't want to go and talk to the prophet. Pastor J.D. Greer says this. He says, you know you're in trouble when you, you are hesitant to consult God before you act. He just wants to go home. Saul says, I'm tired of being out here looking for these animals. I'm tired of being out here looking for them. I just want to go home. I don't want to go talk to the prophet. I don't want to go and take him money. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I just want to go home. Giving up on the task before he ever starts, really starts. And he definitely doesn't want to go talk to God about it. So Samuel gets a word from God. He said, tomorrow, I'm going to bring the person to you who's going to, you're going to anoint as prince over my people Israel. Now, what have the people been asking for? A prince? They're asking God for a king. But God tells Samuel, I'm going to bring you a prince. The Hebrew word he uses there is nagid, or nagid. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. N-A-G-I-D. He says, I'm going to bring you the prince. I'm not going to bring you the makel. I'm not going to bring you the king. I'm going to bring you the prince, the one who's going to manage my people, basically. Because who does God want to be the king? Himself. He wants the people to recognize himself as the king. He wants us to recognize him as our king. He is the one who's going to provide for all of our needs. All of these earthly people that are in charge of our countries, they're merely, merely just managers of what God has given to us. They are the managers of this world. They are the managers in charge of the people. They are the managers in charge of the food. They are managers in charge of governments. And He is the one we're to be lifted up as the king, the true king. So when God tells Samuel, I'm going to bring to you the one who's going to become the Nagid over my people. Samuel understands. He understood exactly what God was saying. I'm bringing you to one who's going to be in charge of my people temporarily. Just temporarily. Because God is the only one that deserves to be their king or our king. He's the only one worthy to be called king. When I was in high school, we learned the word king in sign language. Like the letter K, and you go from one shoulder to the other. That's the banner going across. Lord, king, and there's others as well. I don't know them all. Karis could instruct us later with her ASL knowledge. But see, this king, this banner represented not just a king, but the king, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It represented the one who wanted to, who's going to be king over all of us, the one who's going to rule over all of us, not just manage us. The one in charge, the one we ultimately turned to, the one that we deserved. So Saul meets and honors Saul meets Samuel, and Samuel honors him with this meal. He honors him, and he takes him out into the house, and he puts him in a great room. He says, here's a great meal for you. And Saul's got to be wondering, what's going on? Why is he doing this? What, what's, what's the deal? Why are you bringing me in? And the next day, they go out, and he says, okay, Saul, I want you to send this servant back early, and I'm going to give you a word from God. I'm going to tell you all that God wants for you. What do you think was going through Saul's mind? No idea. So Samuel 
pulls him up. The end of verse chapter 9, verse 27, he says, Sell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here of yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince? There's that word again. Prince over his people. His people, Israel. He picks Saul. From among all the men and men of Israel, God selects Saul to be the prince over his people. What a privilege to be given to, man, to go and to speak truth into people's lives. To be able to look at the people that God has given to him and say, you are in charge. It is your job to lead my people. It's your job now to guide my people, to help them to know that I am the true king. But what happens? Look down at verse 17. Saul goes back to his, his family, he goes back to his family, he goes back to his dad, and doesn't mention a single thing about what Samuel said. So in verse 17, it says, Now Samuel called the people together. Call them to the Lord of Mitzvah. And he preaches to them a very, very blunt sermon here. And he says to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, I brought, you up, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God. Ouch. He calls all the people together. He says, this is what God's word is for you. I've brought you up out of Egypt. Let me get back. I'll stop trying to quote it myself. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that are oppressing you. But today, you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities. God says, look, I'm the one who did all these things. You've asked for a king. I'm going to give you a prince. But know that you are rejecting me. I'd like that message to be preached to us. You have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities, from your distress. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord, your tribes, and by your thousands. And he goes through by Lot, and he chooses out the tribe of Benjamin, and he goes down by family, and he chooses the family of Kish. And then he goes through all the kids. And Saul is nowhere to be found. The tallest man among them is nowhere to be found. Now, Samuel knows who he's looking for, right? Saul knows who he's looking for. Where is he? Verse 22, the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. He is hiding behind the barrels. He is afraid of what God has called him to do. He's afraid of becoming the prince over these people. He's afraid. Wouldn't you be afraid as well? When God called me to pastor this church, I was afraid. Still afraid. Somebody asked me one time, How do you get up there every Sunday morning? 
Don't you, you don't sound like you're afraid when you stand up there? Until the moment I step out of the seat down below, wherever I'm sitting, there's butterflies. Every Sunday before I get up here to bring God's word before you, there's butterflies. God, am I going to mess up? God, am I, is, is it going to too much? And every Sunday, God works a miracle in my heart and in my mind and my stomach, the butterflies disappear. I understand Saul's fear of looking and being able called to manage his people, being called to manage those people. He was hiding in behind the baggage. And they had to go and pull him out. And the Bible says when, he st- when he, they pulled him out, they said, whoa, he's a giant. He was shoulders and head taller than everybody else. And like me, he was the most handsome among all the people. Okay, maybe not. That is the one that God had called and set apart to lead those people. And look what happened to them when they got down to the bottom. Samuel said to the people in verse 24, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. See, Saul was afraid. Saul was afraid of what God had called him to do. He didn't want to lead the people. It was not his choice. If he had his choice, maybe he'd go back to finding donkeys again. He didn't like that either, but maybe that's better than leading the children of Israel. Go on and find those donkeys. See, there may be something in your life that God has asked you to do that you're like Saul. You're hiding in the baggage. There are ministries abounding in our church, ministries in your neighborhoods, Ministries in your communities, ministries at your office, people that God is directing you to talk to, you say, yeah, no. I'm going to hide behind the baggage. I don't, I'm, I, God, I know you've asked me to go do this, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. It's beyond my abilities, beyond my capabilities to do what you've asked me to do. Hogwash. If God has called you and led you and is leading you and pointing out something to you, as he pointed out to Saul, you step forward and you take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and you do what God has asked you to do. I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But I'm saying that the king has called and led you. The king will go before you. The king will give you the power and the strength to accomplish the task that he has called you to do. We may look at Saul because we know the end. We know the story several chapters down the road. We know what happens to Saul. We know that he eventually gets rejected by God as the king. But right here, right now, he is the king that God has chosen for Israel to follow. He is the one that God has selected and set up and said, this is the one. His grace and his mercy are coming through the situation. They've asked for a king. He's given them a prince. They've asked for a king. God says, I'm the king. They've asked for a king. God says, here is Saul. Follow him. He is the one that you need. He is the one who's going to draw you back to myself. God gave them a human king to remind them of their need for him. Because no king is worthy. No king can truly take the place of God in their lives. 
Saul had a rocky start. He didn't want to go find the donkeys, but God used that in his life to lead him to Samuel. It was through that meeting with Samuel that he was anointed as the king. It's through going home to find the donkeys at home and being quiet about it with his dad that Samuel comes and draws all the people together and says, okay, you've called for a king, now let's go find him. He's looking, where is he? Saul knows exactly. In the midst of that rocky start, he's still lifted up and presented as king. You and I, you know, we may have had rocky starts in our own lives as well. Saul's was pretty rocky. He didn't want to be thrust into the position. He didn't want to embrace what God had for him. But ultimately, he did. We also can have rocky starts in our lives, but it's up to us to look to God and say, God, I accept you. You are God. You are Adonai. You are Mikel. You are my king. And whatever you ask, I will do. Whatever you say to say, I will say it. Wherever you ask me to go, I'm going to go. Whoever you want me to talk to, I'm going to talk to. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do it because you are my king. No other is worthy to give me instructions. You are my king. That's who we come here this morning to worship. That is who we lift up. That through our songs we sing, through the prayers that we pray, through the offering that we're going to give in a few minutes, he is the one we worship and lift up because he is our king. If anything else comes before him in our lives, it's sin. If anything else comes before God in our lives, it's sin. Be it your spouse, your kids, your job, your sports team, you choose it. Whatever it is that comes between you and him is sin. He is to be number one in our lives. And that's what the nation of Israel had forgotten. They asked for a king, he gave them a prince. What about you this morning? What is it you're asking God for? What is it that you're asking God for? Who is it you're asking God for? When he says, I want to be your sustenance. I want to be that thing that sustains you, that you rely on, that you trust in with your whole heart. Not these earthly temporal things. Trust in me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you are our king. You are the God of this universe. We lift you up and praise you this morning that you have not abandoned us, have never abandoned us. Father, we acknowledge this morning you as Yahweh, Adonai, our Mikel. And we invite you into our lives this morning to make a difference, to shape us and mold us into your image, to make us like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one final song this morning. Change my heart, O oh God. That, 